Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, I believe I'm going to use this reflection to um, try to put a frame around a mood that's been on me uh, this week actually. More pronounced this weekend. Today is a Sunday, Sunday night. And um, there's been a mood on me. And I think I'm, I'm going to try to put a frame around it. Um, and to talk about the implications of that mood or what the mood, what framing that mood offers in terms of my journey in the world. Okay, so there's a mood that's been on me this week. I'm going to try to put a frame around it. And uh, um, I think it and I think it has significance. But I need to I need to kind of get inside of it and talk it through, unpack it. And um, to in order to even try to frame it. And then once I do that, we'll figure out if there's a so what. Okay. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social, social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. And so I uh, just want to let you know I'm, I'm woefully under my five-minute target. You know, I try to set the episode up, tell you my starting point, set it up, and do my disclaimers all in five minutes. And, um, you know, lately I've been, like, crushing towards the end. And so here I am, halfway, like, like not even at minute three, Mark. And um, I'm, I'm done with all of that. And so I want to just do a little housekeeping. I'm sitting in my car just to give myself some privacy. Um and um and in my car this is take 4 maybe take 5 where i've started recording this is the fifth recording four other times i started and i was like no so the challenge is i actually got up this morning and i started prepping to connect with you all and part of my one of the things i'm i'm aware of is that this is a real journal i am really tracking what's going on in my life i'm tracking my revelations my desires my feelings and i didn't want to repeat whatever the reflections were for the past two weeks i had not listened to those episodes yet and there is a space that i'm in this week that i think connects to another episode I did earlier in the season. So anyway, I woke up this morning and I listened to three episodes. I listened to the one called Next Level Growth. And then I listened to the last two episodes. Um, I believe one was called The Self 
and the other one was called the social map just to make sure that this thing that's on me <laughs> that feels like it's fresh for this week is it <laughs> like you know like maybe i just wanted to make sure i had not talked about it already or if i did if, even if i did what's new what's making it come up for me to talk about it again so got up this morning listened to those episodes i mean you know those episodes are about an hour and a half and so that was three episodes so you can imagine by the time i got through all of those i walked my dogs then i had to make lunch then i had to take a nap and so anyway i had these notes got in the car to drive to a place where i could have some privacy left the darn notes at home <laughs> so i have books with me i have books in the car three of my staple books but all my notes all of the prep work i did this morning the notes are at home and i'm tempted to drive home to go get those notes but i'm also afraid if i drive home and get those notes and i go in the house i'm not coming back out and i will not have this episode released so i am going to talk with you without the notes in my hand um so i wanted to let you know i'm in the car okay there have been um some really interesting things that happened this week that have been very difficult but striking um, it's like it's been like a window these events have served as a window into my psyche my actions where I'm at in, the li- in my life where I'm trying to go and it's this weird thing that this week this week feels pivotal and I don't I don't know why that is but it feels pivotal and I think it's giving me, giving me the mood I told you about. The mood that I want to frame. So, that's that. So I'm going to try to... I'm struggling because I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. Um, let me start with the, 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 the mood. And then I'm, I'll back into talking about some of those events. I'm feeling like a grown-up... And I've had this feeling before, and I think it marks growth. I'm feeling like a grown-up, but this is a different grown-up. This is a different type of grown-up in a really weird way. In the past, when I said I felt like a grown-up, which I did, but I wasn't living my life authentically. I was trying to live authentically. I, I I don't think I was phony, but... I think that there is an authentic part of me that I was having a hard time accessing. And that's what happened this week. It's, see, every when I start talking, it comes. It comes out every time. The events that I had this week challenged this notion of the authentic me and some of my commitments. It challenged me to the point where I was like, oh, do I need to abort my plans? Do I need to reroute and to watch, to observe me tackle that. To to observe the feeling that, that came over me. I had uh, some difficult points this weekend. This week has been difficult. The week has definitely been difficult. And I found myself without the crutch that I've had in the past, in the recent past, when life had become difficult. See, in recent past, when life becomes difficult, I can default and say, 
this ain't my life anyway this ain't what i'm really supposed to be doing like i'm in transition i'm in route right but i i can't say that now now i i've not arrived I'm, i i am still in transition but i'm i'm for the first time i am positioned authentically there's only one thing well there are two things missing maybe three but in terms of structurally let me put it this way this is how i feel um how do i feel i think i've talked to you guys about this before about this tunnel and when I was in transition and, and trying to get back on my feet and all of that. Um, I talked about being in a tunnel. And initially when I was in that tunnel, it wasn't a tunnel. It was a hole. I felt like I was in a black hole. That's how dark the world was. And then I just kept doing what I had to do. And I, I, I don't want to have to go through that again. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at what I did. You know, like, oh, I just applied effort and I got out of the hole. It was not that easy. It was difficult. All right. I'm not going to unpack that for the upteam time. The point I want to make is that initially it was a hole, metaphorically speaking. And then as I was doing what I could do to do my best to move forward in spite of being in this dark hole, no light. Eventually, I started seeing the light. You know, you see, say you see the light at the end of the tunnel. That means that this struggle, if I keep pressing on the mark, this struggle is going to come to an end. It's not the light. The light isn't up on me. But if I keep pressing forward, I'm going to get down to that light because that light indicates that there's a way out of the hole. That there's a there's a there's an opening to come out the tunnel. That's the metaphor I've been working with. And I talked to you about two holes, like the first hole, the first hole that I got to. And so I dropped in one hole. And I moved in this tunnel, metaphorically speaking, got to this next hole and the light where the light was. I came out. I was like, Mm-mm, this is not where I want to land. I was no longer required to be in the tunnel. That, that there were things that I could come out of the tunnel and live. But the place that I could come out and live in, I didn't want that. That wasn't the life I wanted. So my heart coach was like, well, you, there's nothing saying you have to come out the tunnel now. Like, just because the hole, there was a hole that opened up for you to come out the tunnel doesn't mean that that's where you're supposed to come out the tunnel. And so I was like, oh, that's deep. That's dope. <laughs> so I went back in the tunnel. I went back in the tunnel. And uh, I believe I'm out. I truly believe I'm out of that tunnel. And I'm excited. I want to tell you what is exciting for me. This is really weird considering the week that I had. And that's another, that's hard. That's, it's, it's, it's hard. It's intriguing to, to know the week that I had as difficult as it was. And I can still say to you, I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm hopeful. And I'll tell you those feelings juxtaposed against these, some other feelings. It's confusing, but it's real. And so uh, I'm pretty sure I'll share some of that with you um, a little bit later. But the point is, 
I'm not in the I'm no longer in the tunnel. And so where I'm at now, is it is it everything that I want? No, absolutely not. But now I have to build my efforts have my effort my effort, excuse me, my efforts need to be deployed differently. Where my efforts before were about crawling to the next light, to the next hole. <laughs> I'm laughing. Somebody, if, if you're new, you're like, what in the hell is this lady talking about? <laughs> this tunnel and this hole. But this is the metaphor. This is the image that I have in my head. Um, and NI Dom's thinking imagery, images. And so this is just what it is. This is how I'm thinking in my head. There is a tunnel. I am crawling in it. I was. And and I finally got to the right opening of, of, of where I wanted to be situated in the world and how I wanted to be situated. And now I need to situate myself in that. The where and the how is pretty much worked out. Pretty much. And now I got to do the work. It's a different kind of work. Uh, and and the the next image that's coming to me, and I don't know if it's because I got too many indictments on the brain, because you know, I know I'm following the, the Trump uh, indictments, and so um, there's the one that they've been covering, and it's it's about this whole fraud, and and um, it's just you, this is where to me, for me as a person who's followed Donald Trump, who has consumed his content, who's bought his books, this is before I knew him as a politician. I've seen him as a builder and I've likened myself to that. I'm building these properties, building these systems and these structures for me because I'm not trying, I have no interest in building properties, but I am a builder of systems, a builder of systems, a builder, builder of frameworks, the builder of concepts, the builder of movements. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy building. I enjoy building and watching the manifestation of an idea turn into a physical reality. The the big projects I've done have been about the process of building. If I'm really honest, I don't even know. I think even as a published author, that's one of the challenges that I'm having because I get the book done. I'm like, I'm done. Now, there are things that I have to do after I publish a book and I do them, but I'm not doing them enthusiastically. I'm not doing them with the same level of effort that I did when I was building the book, building as in writing the book, right? Building curriculum, building a school, building a business, building a lifestyle, right? I enjoy building because what that represents for me is a vision having a vision of a thing and doing taking action and strategizing until that thing that exists in my head actually exists in physical reality i enjoy that immensely i'm a builder and that's how i used to liken myself to donald trump until a friend of mine was like stop saying that (laughs) stop connecting yourself to him i'm like it is what it is (sighs) and um yeah it's complicated isn't it um and i i I do one day i'm going to do an episode about how i i am no longer a donald trump fan i'm just not however i will say that 
I am intrigued by how the world sees him. And I've got to be really careful because I'll fall into a rabbit hole. I know I will. Because this is something that's been playing in the backdrop of my head, my mind. And I was, I'm, you know, I, I just assumed I would talk about it at some point on my primary podcast. But I, I, I kind of think the world has it wrong when they're talking about Donald Trump. I shouldn't say the world. Pundits in, 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 on the media let me put it this way American American America's media American media media anyway media <laughs> the news in the in the United States I think their analysis of Donald Trump is off and what I've been processing is is it off because they truly don't get Trump or is it off because they're trying to fool us those of us who are listening are you trying to distract us so it could be a combination of both. But that's honestly where I've been kind of as I've been consuming this news. And the reason why I say all of that is because I, I, I believe Donald Trump is a type eight. So naturally, naturally, there's some kinship in right. There's there, oh God, I probably should not say this, but I don't. First of all, I don't have the power to, to, to enact the kind of tomfoolery that he does. OK, so that's not the kinship that I'm talking about. But the kinship of him not following social conventions. The kinship about him using the system against itself. Now, I'm, I've, I, again, I don't have the luxury of not following the law. So that's not, I don't have a kinship about breaking the law. That's not my kinship. But within legal bounds, breaking social norms is what I do. I enjoy doing that. Expectations. Why? Why do we have these expectations? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that thing? Because society expected you to do it? Why did society expect you to do that? Are you going to interrogate that? Are you going to question it? And I think that he has his way of, 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 of shattering these expectations. And so then I've been thinking about those expectations. Who do those expectations serve? These expectations that we're supposed to follow, not the law, I'm not talking about the law, but other social norms. And who do they serve? Who do those conventions serve? Who do they benefit? Who do they prosper? And it would take somebody that gives two shits, excuse me, to disrupt those, 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 um, expectations. And it's kind of like, okay, now we're social world. Let's take a look at those social expectations. So anyway, that's what, that's what I, um, that's kind of what I've been, that's what I've processed. And, and, you know, he's a type eight and there are, there are things, there's, um, there are other things about them that I think is fascinating to watch people not not understand. And I, again, I don't know if that's willful ignorance or is it deceptive ignorance where you're trying to deceive the, the, the viewer. He speaks very big. He speaks very big. He speaks very abstractly. He speaks very... Um, he speaks childishly, you know. It's so much of that type eight that is so obvious in him. 
not a healthy eight let's put it that i now that i will say he does not strike me as a healthy type eight at all but a type eight all the same and maybe that's coming up for me in this conversation it's like i did not plan on talking about him in this episode (laughs) but um i've been part of this week i've been thinking about my dad and i believe my father well let me say it differently if you're in uh, this is going to be a can of worms let me say something i'm going to allow you to judge it because it's going to sound really really odd uh but i I can't i can't explain it right now because it'll put me in a rabbit hole so i'll have to explain it at uh, some other time and just accept the fact that it is going to sound odd okay So my father passed away uh, two years ago, and I believe my father has been visiting me in my sleep over the past weekend. Now, do I believe that 100%? No, I don't. Do I disbelieve it when I'm... Do I unbelieve it? What's the word? Do I not believe it at 100%? No. I cannot say for certain that this impression that I have that my dad has visited me over... I cannot say for sure that that's not true. And I cannot say for certain that it is true. So that's all I'm going to say to that. So anyway, I believe he's been visiting me. Um, my father, I thought was an eight. I actually think my, my father was a type one. I think he's the sexual one, though. He was the sexual one. Anyway, what happens? Because I've, okay, so let me pause that. I, I'm, 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 I'm in a loop right now. I don't even think this is a rabbit hole. I think this is a loop. So I think I told you last weekend I hung out with two guy friends. One was 48 and white and the other one was 37 and black. And I just like to give those demographics that information. It's just important to me. And so anyway, I hung out with them, uh, not together, but Friday and Saturday night I hung out with one and Saturday during the day I hung out with another one. So anyway, not one, one. One of the one individual talked about identity of the self as relating to the father, his father, and whether or not how his identity was challenged when he didn't have access to his dad and so i guess at age 13 he decided that that's where he wanted to live with his father he was living with his mom and his sisters and it and it reminded me of uh, i thought it was the other guy but it reminded me of two other people who talked about not doing a thing resisting a thing because their fathers did that thing and so trying to not be like daddy, I'm not going to do that thing. But unfortunately, that thing is in my DNA. It's my inheritance. So distancing myself from that thing because my father did it is holding me back. And I think I've, I've gone through that. I've gone through that very thing. Because there are things that my dad did in an unhealthy way that I couldn't see the thing as healthy because I could only see it as unhealthy and it's just been all over me this week that I have a lot of his skill sets a lot of them a lot 
And I also think I've been trying to distance myself from that. I talked about this kind of maybe a couple of years ago in this project. But I don't think about, I don't think I had the understanding or the insight about it that I'm having, that I've been having this week. I think this, I think maybe when I talked about it before, maybe there were, there was one thing I was trying to distance myself from him. But I have a lot of his skill sets. So much that I have actually felt like my father this week. I felt like him. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot I want to say to that, but. And my father in my world, even now, isn't seen as a positive person. He's not seen as positive. Because he did some shitty things. Okay. But the things that he did were shitty, not the skills that he had. You see what I'm saying? The things he did were shitty, not those skills not those gifts. And I'm not going to say he was completely shitty. I'm not. I just won't do it. And I think that that has had an impact on my relationship with some other family members. Because that's how they reconcile their relationship with him. They put him in a completely bad box. I didn't. And you guys, when my father was going through the dying process, you heard me talk about it. And, and after he died, I said, I just can't. I said, I'm going to choose to lean into the positives. And part of leaning into the positives meant leaning into the positives within myself. I, you know, um, I don't know how to explain it, but. Oh, boy. So that's what one thing that was happening this week for me. I was like, ooh, that's daddy. Like how I was moving my body, how I was making, how I, what words that I said. How I was engaged in people, how like think, how I was strategizing. It, it, it was it was like wow. It was like wow. I went through something similar with my grandmother when you know she passed two years before. No, that's not true. She passed four years before my before my dad. And dang it, they don't doesn't seem like it they were that it was that far apart it all feels like this one tight little bubble of time but anyway um i felt like there were things that i could see my grandmother in me i still do i i have had two my both of my 10-year relationships both said you got your grandmother's body you got your grandmother's legs <laughs> You got your grandmother's disposition, and I didn't see it until she was gone. I was like, oh, my gosh. I think a lot about the place, the house I'm living in right now. I think that has a lot to do with my granny. I think some choices I'm making about how I'm living has something to do with my granny. And I hadn't experienced that with my dad of feeling such a, uh, a connectedness to him through my body like I was feeling that with my grandmother like she was in my body and I had not felt that way about my dad until this week 
I don't know what that means, y'all. I really don't. And in some ways, I don't even care. Like, it's not even relevant. Like, I have, you know, it's totally irrational, right? Clear, like, there's no rational way to say that that's true. But it's not, doesn't matter. It's the feeling, okay? It's the feeling of it. The mood, the feeling. I don't want to say mood of that. Maybe it's mood, but I'm going to call it a feeling. So anyway, I think that I kind of connect that to Donald Trump and my father to see, to witness some maneuverings, you know, inside of, within a world, um, to witness some behaviors that are demonized by the world. It doesn't help that these people did bad things. It doesn't help that. But I also have, I have a, I have a, I was going to say a choice or I was going to say an opportunity or maybe an obligation to show those same qualities in a healthier way. So anyway, I'm going to get off of that. Well, that's one thing that happened this week. I was, I really felt like I had some, some kind of irrational experience time with my father and I say irrational because it can't it can't be explained and again I don't know how significant it is to even question how much I believe that or not I don't even know I don't even care the point is it feels like I had some experiences with him and I feel him in me I feel him I feel one with him I feel like I am him that's how it's felt this week I feel like I am my dad in terms of how he maneuvered his life, his business. I pray that I am the healthy version of him, though. I pray that I am a healthy version of my dad. And that's what I strive to commit for. Okay. So that's one thing. The other thing is... I had a hiccup this week with one of my clients and um, that hiccup really challenged my thinking about this thing that I'm doing like in business and lifestyle because you know I've become more and more clear that the business isn't just about the good that it does in the world. It's about design living. It's about building a life style that that this business now allows me to have. This business allows me to have a certain life. And so that's important because um, I'm a I'm a social aid. I'm not a one. See, ones are driven to do good in the world. My good in the world is about justice. And sometimes when that self-preservation part of me overrides the social part of me, because I'm a social aid, when that self-preservation aid part of me rises up, it says, no, no, all of this justice work, all this work doing good, we're just going to park this and take care of ourselves. Sorry. Sorry y'all over there like I can't help you right now I got to take care of me and when that feeling pops up of being more self 
driven. The one the the one thing that has stopped me from going, I'm not going to do all of that. that's extra work. Is the work isn't just about doing good in the world. It's about me being able to live at a certain living. I don't want to say a certain level. Live in a certain way. It's about me. So the business as a two prong value, it does good in the world, and it allows me to have a certain lifestyle. And okay. So when the client, I had a hiccup with the client this week. It threatened that I. It question. It made me question the good in the world. And the lifestyle. Like, am I going to really be able to have this? Like, okay, so here's what happened. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to give the story what happened. Here's a short version. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give this to you and keep it short. The short end of what happened this week is that the women on, of, the, of the site that I'm serving showed themselves to be almost identical to some past situations so much and I don't know if I said this last week I don't know I don't know if I was giving myself permission to say these things until the hiccup but these things have been present I think I've just been choosing to deny that okay I was disappointed in myself because I'm like you already knew this about your industry. You already knew this this thing that you are observing and experiencing, this is not new. So why do you have to be reminded like this? Why? I consider myself a wise person. Why could I not take an experience that I had before and apply it? And one reason is that I'm a patterns person. I typically don't like to lock in a phenomenon as a phenomenon if it, until there's a pattern associated with it. So while I may have had this experience in the past, it was not enough for me to say, this is the pattern. So the experience, the, the event that happened this week now has locked it in. Very identical to situations I've had in the past. But now we're going to lock it in as a thing. Okay. But that event happened on Tuesday. One part of it. It it started on Tuesday. And Wednesday it mm, became more pronounced. And I would say, and then Thursday, Thursday morning, it came to a head. Um, And so what I'll say then is. So on the front end, when it first started happening, or when it came to a head, my first reaction was like, oh, I can't do this work anymore. This, I, I thought I could do this work. I can't do this work. Mm-mm, I'm not doing this. And then when I said that, then I'm like, okay, what does that mean for the business? And what does it mean for the lifestyle you're trying to build? The, des- the life that you're trying to design for yourself. Because this thing right here, this is baked into your industry. So the only way to avoid this thing is to not work in the industry. See, I thought, I assumed 
uh, before this week. I'm going to be really honest. Here's my naivete. I had assumed that I wasn't going to have to really confront that thing now because I'm no longer employed in the industry. I'm just consulting in it. And I don't know what I was thinking. Now, does it mean I have to deal with it the same way I dealt with it as an employee? Absolutely not. And I think that that's true. I think that being a consultant in the industry versus being an employee in the industry allows me to wrestle with that thing differently. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to bypass it altogether. And that was naive on my part. I think another thing that's naive on my part, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it, just a little bit. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be so honest with y'all. Okay, just so so honest. Oh, if you're an INDJ, you're about to lose your head. Okay, you're about your head is about to explode because I, I did something that was just dumb. <laughs> just dumb. I can't even. I can't even justify it. But I know why I did it. So I started my work with this client without a signed contract without a signed contract and without a negotiated contract and the reason why I say negotiated because I sent some contract language over nobody accepts the contract as is it was not interrogated never got a response then I brought it up and they were like oh yeah we approved it I thought I sent it to you. I don't have a signed contract. That's all my fault. Now, here's the other part of it. I knew I wanted to have some kind of contract, but I didn't really know what was going to be in the contract because it's all new for me, right? And this is the exciting part of building a business. Like this This is the building part. Right, You know what you know when you know it. And when you learn new information, you go and you calibrate. So, I, um, I don't know. Um, hold on a second. So, as I was negotiating a contract with the second client, I took that standard language because it was vetted and gutted by an attorney and then I was it was really good for me to identify some of my boundaries my commitments what I wanted to do and I gave a version of that to the first client they were such in a hurry for my services I felt I felt the need and I, I respond to need I'm an eight um, I think INTJs do this too, but I think it's especially true as an eight. And you need me, and I can do this. You need what I have to offer. That's attractive. I moved forward in doing that pre before without a contract. And and I'm, this is the part. This is how I justify it, even though I don't think it's justifiable. I really don't. I should not have done it. I should have not started that contract. That project without a signed contract. I know it. I knew it then. It wasn't like I had to find out later. I knew it then. But here's why I went and, and moved at, at the pace I, I, I need to. Because I knew I had a goal of wanting to generate revenue 
off under my business model. And I knew I needed to get started. And I needed to learn. And I was, I gave, I took the risk. I felt that that's, that particular project had minimum risk for me to get this experience for my business and to get the experience that I needed for me. Like it's a skill set. And what, and it it really was a still, I still stand by that decision. Like two months later, I'm like, almost two months later, I'm like, I, that was the right decision. To, that was the right decision because of all that you've learned. Oh, I've learned so much. That I didn't, even if I would have had a signed contract, that contract that I had given her wasn't, it, it was not adequate. It wasn't inadequate. So even though it's not signed, it's not even the right contract in the first place. Like, I, I would still use that as a standard contract, but there needed to be some more clauses, some more nuance added to that. Number two, I knew they weren't, they wanted to use me in a way that I didn't want to be used. And so, it, it, and I mentioned this, I mentioned this to you in the episode called Next Level Growth. In that episode, I said, I was wrestling. I don't feel this way today. But in that episode, which was about five weeks ago, five, six weeks ago, in that episode, I said, you know, I talked about my foundation, the, 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 the building blocks that I needed to have the lifestyle I wanted. I've got the foundation in place now, finally. Finally, I have the, the foundation. I'm out of the hole. I have the foundation I want for the life that I want. And I don't want to work for somebody. I said, but in that episode, which was five, five to six weeks ago, I said, there's one but, there's one crack in the system. If I get called to do something at the executive level, it might be hard for me to say no. And in that episode, I said, as a matter of fact, I got a call like that this week. Somebody said that they need an executive leader. They didn't use the word executive. They said head lead, head administrator. And I'm like, oh, that's attractive. Although that's, I'm not an administrator. And I, I have wrestled with this for at least 10 years. Because I have all the training, I have all the endorsements. And I have the skills. I have, so I have skills to do it. I don't have the disposition to administrate. First of all, I don't like paperwork. Number one, I don't like doing that. I, I have a team. Of, I will finalize paperwork. I will give direction about how I want that paperwork to be filled. I don't want to fill it out. I'm going to outsource that part. The system in education, and this is the part that is a non-negotiable for me moving forward. And this is a pattern that I didn't realize. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It's hard for me to say I didn't realize it was a pattern. I, it's hard. It's hard for me to say that because I knew it. Uh, I, You know what it was? Okay. I know the thing as a, as a, as a macro related concept. It's this big theoretical concept, our idea. But I had not experienced that thing that big idea on a, at the nuance level, the localized nuance level, 
on repeat until this week, until this past, this, with this particular contract. And here's what I will say, and I'm going to say it now, and those of you who follow this project, you're going to say, you've said this before, okay? I said it for whatever reason. I didn't, I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't know why this is a learning that I had to have on repeat. I do not know, but this is it. Like, I will not have to learn this lesson again. I promise you can hold me accountable. I will not have to learn this one again. You will, I will not, I will not use power in my body to discipline students and families of color. I will not do it. And I will not use my body and my authority to discipline low-income families, whether they're of color or not. They can be white. I don't care. As a matter of fact, I will not use my body and power to discipline any marginalized community. And is it because I don't believe in accountability? No, I do believe in accountability. But discipline and accountability for me is proactive and it's just, it's fair. It means putting those expectations out up front and guiding people through an escalated system of consequences so that they know that we can hit a level five consequence. I'm not afraid of deploying a level five consequence, but I'm not going to do it. I will never give a level five consequence when the expectation was never made clear and the process for escalation was not, there was no system. And number three, when there are things that are causing that behavior. Kids are acting out. And you want me to deal with that behavior as though that the behavior has no connection to the environment. That behavior has everything to do with the environment. And you you do not want me to put that in front of you. Because you don't want to make any changes. You want the students and their families to change. And because you're white, these, these people are white, and in past situations, they've been white, this, this problem comes up in asynchronous, a, culturally asynchronous spaces. Students are black. Their educators are white. Something is happening in that environment that causes students to act in a particular way. The white educators don't know what to do with it. <clears throat> the behaviors of the students escalate. And they look for a strong black administrator, a leader, to deal with those behaviors. And this has happened to me twice. It's actually happened to me more than that. <clears throat> if I expand the work space beyond kids. I was asked to come into a a graduate class. I was asked to teach a graduate class. I didn't find this out till later. This is insulting, by the way, but this is what it is. This is the reality. There was a class. There was a black woman who had failed that class two times prior and threatened this called claim, quiet discrimination. 
she was being discriminated against. They Their solution was to get a black instructor in there, get a black professor in there, and see how that 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 adult learner who was black, see how she would respond by having a black professor. If she would still perform the same way and if she would still make claims of discrimination. See, when I was brought in to do that, I was not told that's what I was being brought in to do. I was told, hey, this is an opportunity. We have a a class that needs to be taught. Can you come and teach it? I'm like, okay, yay. I'm so excited when people need me. I love it. I'm going to have to check myself. That's the problem. That's the problem, right? Stroking my ego a little bit. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, you need me? I'm coming to save the day. (laughs) And walk my ass right into being exploited. That's all you wanted from me. And all of the other things I bring to the table to and that, that I feel are my talents, that's not even what you want. You want me to be able to make clear that it's the child, that, excuse me, in that particular situation, it was the learners, the adult learners problem. It wasn't the institution's problem. And you're going to do that by bringing me in as a black professor or an adjunct rather. Heaven forbid I use professor in that system. You got to be ranked and all of that. But anyway. And so that happened to me there. Um, And it happened to me in this K-12 setting where you have students, their behaviors are off the track, off the record, like, excuse me, off the chart. The adults, white adults don't know what to do with them. Then I've been brought in on two occasions now. Um, that is, it's never going to happen again. So this is how I know it's not going to happen again. It might, it, let me say it differently. I'm going to equip myself for two things. I'm going to minimize it happening again because I don't think I'll be able to eliminate the behavior because that's a, that's a behavior that's out of my control. That's an institution. That's a behavior of the institution. That's not just in my city. That's across the country. Educators are 83% of all teachers are affluent white women. That's 83%. America's public schools are predominantly of color now. I believe they, they've hit the place of being a majority of color. They haven't, I believe they've, if we hit that milestone, if not, it's coming really, really soon. Teaching is a social experience. That's what I've been trying to tell people. That's, this is getting into my primary work. I don't really want to stay here. But the point is, it's social. So a a white, affluent female teacher comes into that space from her cultural worldview, fundamentally different from students. And so students act out of their social worldview. It's different. And it's a mismatch. 
And then because these are kids, their needs aren't getting met. And so then behavior becomes communication. I'm now going to act in a way, I'm going to give a behavior that would indicate that I need help in this environment and you ain't doing it. So anyway, so that's, that's something that has, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, na- that's national, right? And then, I mean, when you look at these, the rise of these black leaders, oh, it's really gross. The rise of these black principals, district superintendents in white spaces, nothing changes with having a black superintendent. Nothing. Other than. Now we avoid being called racially a racist or racially insensitive because like, oh, we got a black superintendent that's doing this. We got a black principal. We have a black professor. And especially if those African-Americans don't understand why they are being brought into a situation. So I'm, I'm ready to make this argument. I'm so ready. I'm, this is, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do this here. Anyway, I won't, you won't use me that way. I said all of that to say, you will not use me that way. So I get brought into, so that was that. The other thing is, I don't, so they asked for an administrator. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be an administrator, but I'll help your leadership team. So this is, and this is the part I have to own for myself. This is where I, I I want to say I dropped the ball, but I didn't even understand it. Now I do. So I, I just dropped the ball out of ignorance. I just was ignorant. I didn't know. It wasn't a will. It wasn't like. I knew to do something and I just failed to do it. I didn't even know to do this. So moving forward, I'm going to, first of all, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to do um, administration. But if you tell me, if a school or a district says, well, we want to help uh, support our leadership team. Well, that's not administration to me. But that might mean, this is what I learned. That's. That could possibly be what they mean. And this is what the contract is for. You take these words, we're going to define them. Right? You're saying leadership, and I'm saying leadership. Let's spell out what that means. Because that's what happened this week. It became very clear that their view of leadership, I wasn't walking in that. And I already knew that, though. This is the sad part. Had you, had you made that explicit... I would have told you that, and and what the what the what the one of the um what because I'm gonna say the client, but I was dealing with several different people. But one person was like, "You keep saying what you're not gonna do." And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Yeah, it does look like that." I had this, I've had the same experience with my heart coach recently. I've never experienced this. Usually, somebody. Well, I'm, somebody will give me a criticism, a critique on something I've done. I can listen to it without getting defensive. But usually I can under, I, I can hold two truths. I can say, I can hear what they're saying. I can hear their critique and I can understand their critique. And then I can say, I know why I did what I did. But in these situations, I'm getting the critique and it's confusing me on why I would do that. Why would I tell these people what I'm not going to do? This this leads to something I don't think I can talk about because I don't really understand it yet. But there's something that I'm learning about myself where 
once I may have said this to you guys before once I've determined that you don't know if you don't if there's I'm, let me use an example I'm gonna use a metaphor if I'm if I need to work with you based on 10th grade content based on a 10th grade knowledge base and I've assessed that you're functioning at the second grade level it makes no sense for me to try to tell you to do the work at the 10th grade level because you're not going to get it because you're, you're you're at the second grade level all the explaining I'm going to do it's not going to help you because you aren't yet you don't meet the you don't meet the you don't meet the prerequisite of that type of conversation what is the prerequisite for that kind of that conversation and so that's what happened in this situation i already knew i knew what i was dealing with i knew that they didn't they they were not ready to hear my analysis of the situation and i thought i was savvy enough i want to be honest i thought i was savvy enough to work around it and i believe i could do it what I didn't account for, which I should have, but I didn't, I didn't account for the de- deploying of other people. Now, you bring me in because you said you don't have any leaders, but guess what happened? Once I'm there now, all these leaders popping up, wanting to, do, to be present. Well, if you were here, if you, if you had these leaders here, these administrators here, why did you call me? Why did you call me to do a service? You let's just let's just cut to the chase so I can get onto the other parts of my reflection. Let's just call it what it is. You called me because you had black students, black staff, um, that you didn't know what to do with, or you you wanted some hard conversations, and that's. I don't agree with it, but that's fine. That's your prerogative to say, you know, you're going to pay me to do that. And I was like, no, but instead of saying, I'm not going to, so they would ask me, okay, oh, this is so good. My God, this is perfect. You're asking me to do something in an indirect way to do, you're asking me to do X when what you're really getting me to do is Y, but you're framing it as X. So what I was doing was like, I'm not going to do X because I knew X was in route to Y. And because they didn't name Y, I didn't name Y. And I knew that they wouldn't be able to handle it if I tried to explain to them that your, your request for an X is actually a request for Y. So what it looked like on the surface was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Which is fine. I don't think that was wrong. But what I should have also done is I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to, I'm not going to do X. But I'll do A, B, C. Spell out what I am going to do. I started doing that in the contract. I started it. I just didn't flesh it out. I didn't know. I didn't know to. But maybe we got it now. So anyway, I, I, I there was a moment this week where I was like, I can't work with. I can't work with this phenomenon. I, I I'm a. I publish, and I talk about what kids need. So that they don't have disruptive behaviors. And the things that they need, you are unwilling to do. So not only do I need to put that type of understanding in the contract, I need to put that type of understanding in my brand. 
So when I'm out on a podcast, when I'm on an interview, when I'm, when I'm blogging, right? It needs to be very clear to people who, what my priorities are. My priorities are for the agency and the wellness of marginalized communities. Period. And that's not just racially marginalized, but anybody who is denied access to social power because of something, whether it's their body, their, most of it is related to the body, right? Their language, their citizenship status, their abilities, right? Their cognitive orientation, any of that. I'm not playing that game. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not questioning that. I'm not confused about it. The only thing that I didn't do right is I didn't have the wherewithal to spell that out in a contract that never got signed that I'm going to sign, that I'm going to fix. So you know what I mean? Like, so that, but that, even though that was, it was grossly painful because just like in other spaces, when you don't do what they, the power holders want you to do, they will weaponize their power. The other thing that I'm, I've learned as a pattern, but now I'm locking it in, that way of holding power isn't direct. It's, they hold it. They hold power through a secondary and tertiary channel. They don't negotiate power on that primary channel, which would be called overt power structures. They do a lot of covert negotiating. And you don't even get to be a part of those conversations unless you're invited, Right. So they control any opposition. Then, and I'm not talking about one spot. This is a phenomenon. This is a pattern. I've talked about this in my research anyway. So I had to learn that. And I had to learn what my, what my non-negotiables are. Like I, I know what they are, but I need, to, I need to spell them out. I need to spell out my non-negotiables and I need to communicate them in a positive way. So it doesn't look like I'm being difficult or disagreeable, uncooperative. You know what I mean? Nasty. I just need to tell you up front. I don't think that's going to eliminate all of the problems because I think people want what they want. You you know, I I did this when I was dating. I said, hey, I'm not going to listen. I just want to let you know I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm just, I want to save your time and mine. I had people who told me that was tacky. Okay. That's fine, but I'm just going to let you know. I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm going to just save yourself time and save myself time and just put it out there. And then it it derailed a couple people. But my mom said to me, she said, that's not going to stop a man from trying to get with you. You, you telling them you're not going to sleep with them, that's not going to deter them. All, and, I, and somebody else told me, all it's going to do is tell them how to strategize or think, that, think they're going to strategize. It's just no. So I can tell you what I'm not going to do as a leader, as related to marginalized communities. But if you want what you want, you can say, uh-huh, just like those men did. Uh-huh, and still try to get try to get the good, get the goods, you know. You didn't get them, <laughs> but didn't stop him from trying and then forced me to have to navigate that. And I, so I think that the phenomenon of still trying to... Uh, deploy my body in, in a position of authority for their comfort. It's go, it's a phenomenon that's going to happen. And again, it's not. I'm not. Honestly, I'm not. I actually think if any organization was going to do better, I think this particular site could do it. 
And I always say that when I go into a leadership position. I'm like, you guys could be the model. But guess what? They don't want to be the model. And then this is frustrating. I'm gonna, I got to get off this topic. And I don't even know how to clean all, wrap all of this up. Um, but this was one of the events. I said I was going to make it short, but it, it, it was, wasn't possible. Um, when I was put in a leadership position in a couple of years ago, you guys heard that I, I didn't, I, w- I went in as an interim. So it wasn't a, a role that I got, was able to negotiate. I thought I negotiated this one though. That's what's so sad about it. I thought I negotiated, but I didn't. Not enough. And I, and I think that even the, the contract that I put in front of them, you guys just heard me roll down, window down. It's getting kind of warm in the car. How about just turn the heat down? <laughs> um, but I think even the contract that I did have probably would have had some value had it been signed. <laughs> so, so it's so embarrassing for me to admit that out loud. <laughs> it is what it is, y'all. It is what it is. So, so anyway, um, so that was difficult this week because. What they're going to do, this is what they're going to try to do. It's going to, what this happened in the past, you want to vilify me. I'm now the villain. And so, like I said to somebody, I said, well, let's talk about it. You have black students that you're struggling with, but you don't want to say it's because they're black. They're black. They are black. You got staff that you're struggling with. You don't want to say that they're, it's because they're black, but guess what? They are black and you all are white. There's one um, person of color, Mary, and this is, and uh, let me clean this up because if you knew, you may not understand this. When I say white, I'm really talking about whiteness. I'm not talking about an ethnicity, but it's, it's connected to a white structure, a white power structure. So that's how you can, you can even have a black person in there operating under a white power structure. It really is that simple. And it's not even white. It's whatever the dominant group is. So just like you can be Christian and then have somebody like somebody Jewish or um, Muslim, right? That dominant group is always going to have the advantage. Even when I'm, you know, I know when I go into an all black space, I can go into a black classroom and I can get that classroom to, to a place faster than a white teacher can. That's the, that's, I'm now part of the majority, Right. So it's, it's, I don't, I truly don't think this is about this particular client being bad, even though I believe they're going to try to vilify me. Why? Because I've made, I've made things clear. I put the light on something. I took the dust off of it. I made it visible and no one wants to have that. What I made visible with this pattern of blackness of the, they don't want, they don't like it. They don't like that. And so what one said, I'm sorry, I'm under the, I, I will never know what it's like to be a black woman. This is not about me. You're making this about me. All I'm telling you is that you got a pattern here. That the, the, the groups of people that you are struggling with, they're black and you don't want to talk about that. You want to act like being black is incidental. And that's fine. There are many, many black contractors, consultants who would come into this space and never draw light to that. But not this one. I did my doctorate on this. I write about it. I have too much of a consciousness about it. 
And I said to them, I said, I've been too close to the equity work. I'm too close to the equity work to come in here and not talk equity, which is something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to talk equity. That's another thing I learned this week. Those two cannot be unconjoined. I'm making up words, I think, but they, they, they are interwoven. Instructional justice and equity are together. They cannot be separated. And although I don't want to talk equity, I don't want to use the word equity. That's what it is. Because I don't think I talk equity the way other equity officers talk it. So I, I got to find a way how, I, how I'm going to situate myself. But anyway, it just made initially my reaction was I'm not I'm not I'm not doing this. And then that then the whole world started falling apart in my head. Like, well, if you don't do this, how are you going to do that? And then this is connected to the lifestyle. No, no. Two things. I am going to do it because this is. The calling, and I, I know. Let's. See, I'm gonna use white again. I know white Americans who are into justice. I know them. I know that there are schools that are predominantly white that want to do the justice work. I know that for a fact. And guess what it means? It means I'm now gonna become a little more nuanced in my business model. That I've got a niche. I'm not gonna sell myself as a person that can serve any school that's serving black, brown, and poor kids. I'm no longer gonna say that. I can serve any school serving black, brown, and poor kids with a staff that's committed to justice work. And they won't just say, you know what I mean? And then we spell out, we start negotiating what that means. But that was, I had to really sit with that for a couple of days. Like, nope, we're not going to run from this. You just need to be more specific in the work. And the second piece of it is that I am, my mom called it a couple of years ago. She said, you can play the game like anybody, but you don't budge when it comes to marginalized communities. Which is true. Will anybody ever bring me in to do leadership in an all-white space? Doing with all white kids, hardly, I won't say never, but hardly. So I'm always going to be brought in when they're, when they're, um, on their students of color. Even when I was an equity coach and I was working with teachers, the only time those teachers would say, Hey, I need help. I, as an equity, as a coach, instructional coach, I'm supposed to help you as a teacher. But you don't call me into your classroom because you need help with instruction. You call me into your classroom because you want me to validate that that child that's giving you a hard time is difficult. And we're not supposed to talk about that child being black. No, we're going to miss that. We're going to miss that. And when I don't, I, I, it's so this is This pattern is so fascinating to me. Anyway. It's not going to do it. But the second thing that came out of this week is that that is, I don't have a, um, I have a specialization because of my dissertation. I studied the needs of black students, but my, my professional commitment has always been to low income students, whether they, and like I told somebody, yes, last night, even affluent white students aren't getting the, the education that they deserve. 
our country's education system is just it's becoming excuse me shitty and to the point where even affluent white students aren't getting the education that they deserve right so I have a compassion for them but mm-mm. so I just decided the second this is the second thing that happened this week and I, I'm going to start closing um, the second thing that happened this week second lesson from this experience is that I there's a part of my business model where I'm providing direct services to communities so there's a part of my business model where I'm serving district leaders. And then there's a, another part of my model where I'm serving families and communities directly. And so it just told me it's time to activate that second part, which I had, it was already on the radar. And that leads to the third thing that happened this week. And it started, I had started thinking it. One thing that when I get these contracts where I'm working with district leaders, I love the business of getting that contract. I love the negotiating, <laughs> even if I've got to still work on doing the negotiation, right? I still love it. I love the negotiating, the contract language. I just, I love all the business parts of it, which I, which I said I didn't, but I, I just, I don't like the paperwork part, but all of the other building the business, I love it. And so what, I don't have to be the service provider, so I can hire out underneath me a, a, a subcontractor and I'm going to send you to do that work. And so when I get a client, I can say to them, all right, I'm going to have a subcontractor come in and work with you on X and Y. And when you get to the level Z, I'll come in. I won't come in too soon because I'm not going to come in at the second grade level. Right. And that's, so I would just bring in subcontractors to meet my client's where they are because I can't do it my training is too specialized I I let me say it differently that's not true I can I just think it would be more effective to for me to bring other people because I always said that I don't do the FE you know so but then when it comes to serving communities you know even then, I still want to have subcontractors, but that's different because I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to just watch this space because I think that there are, I'm still learning this business. I'm learning the business model. So there's the vision, the business model. There's the vision. Then there's the business model that I'm structuring for that vision. And then there's the service that is that the business is doing. And so I don't, I, I say all the time, I should be working on the business, not in the business. I can hire some people, some subcontractors. So anyway, so that was a powerful lesson this week about who I am in this business. What are some changes I need to make to the contract, right? What are my non-negotiables? It it was just a really good week. And that made me think about, it, it just made me think about my dad because you know, as he was working on his own, he, my dad worked for himself too. And he just constantly navigating, constantly navigating what that means. So, so anyway, some other positive things have happened. The other things that happened this week that I don't have time to talk about is that I got, I got called on by a, the second client that's now pushed our work out for the next semester. We can't, we're not going to start it now, but he had a position that he wanted me to consider and I was like 
I'm just getting better. I was like, "Mm -mm, that's not, nope, can't do that one for you. And I don't think there's a crack in the matrix anymore. I don't, I think if somebody called me up tomorrow and said, there's a superintendency position. We would like you to apply for it. I'm going to hang up on them because I just, I'm, I, 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 I'm pretty, I'm pretty secure with saying, Mm-mm. I was still on the fence about it a couple of months ago. Mm-mm. I have found myself. I think that's it, y'all. That's what it is. I have found myself finally. And I know I just have found myself. It's just in terms of being in the world and I think I, I found myself earlier in my adult, adult life, but it was so fast. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know I had found myself. I thought I was just doing a thing until I wasn't anymore. And I had to work my way back in that tunnel to get back to me. I have done that. So so I talked about this, this contract thing as being big. It was a big thing this week. Um, the other big thing, and I, I, I am closing, but the other big thing was with my person. Um, and you know what, that just, that's going to deserve a second, a separate reflection because I haven't talked about her. Uh, we got more bad news this week. Um, it has really made me think about, uh, so I had, I had lunch with a friend yesterday and I just said, I'm struggling between wanting to be very practical during this time. Like we all, we all are going to go, but if this person is on track to go sooner, it would just be really helpful for us to have that conversation. And that person like my dad is walking in faith. And as a woman of faith, I believe that. I believe in faith. I believe that she has a right to stand in faith that all is going to work out. But I also believe that with my dad operating on faith, I never got a chance to have a proper closure. That's such a major, major moment, y'all, when somebody is dying. Major moment. And I don't know why I have a desire to have proper closure. But my dad didn't want to do that. or He he did it in his own way. And I don't think my person is going to do that. My sister has been talking to our person and saying, you've got to promise us that you're going to keep when you, you know, let us know. So we, but I had a really good talk with my sister yesterday too because after we got the bad news one thing I've learned about my sister is that she has to go away so I I told her I said we're very different I live away <laughs> I live off the grid but when I go through severe pain I have to be on the grid with somebody else it's just too much and she's the opposite she lives on the grid and when she goes through the pain she goes off and so I I knew that she needed time and so yesterday we had a really good talk and it sounds like she's starting to make peace. She's trying to make peace. And um, and just accept this God-awful situation. Just God-awful. It's just God-awful. But 
I think that's part of it. I think another part of my dilemma is just the relationship I have with my person. And it's a relationship of experiencing something and then calling it something else or denying it. So excuse my language, but it's fine. You've heard me say it. It's mind fuckery, right? It's all a bunch of gaslighting, you know? And so I'm that I'm wrestling with. And then I'm, I find myself staying away because it is too overwhelming to be around it. It's first of all, it's already hard to be around it because somebody is, you know, like the cancer is taking their life. The cancer is eating them alive. Basically it's horrible, just horrible, horrible. My God. And the second piece of it is that all of these unhealthy psychological ways of maneuvering is now amped. It's happening still. So I have just been staying away. But time is limited. So then I'm chastising myself. You shouldn't stay away. You need to get... Because you're going to regret. You're going to regret not being around. It's a, that is a really hard thing to navigate. And so the friend that I had uh, brunch with yesterday, she was like, this is normal. You have to take care of you too. And that's a psychologically unsafe arrangement. And I'm confronting that more and more. You guys have been listening to me do that in this project. But starting to have friends who can get that, who finally understand. I'm finally getting friends who understand that psychological circus that I've been a part of my entire life and can understand why that psychological circus is amplified right now in this season of horribleness, of deep fear and sadness and all of that. And so that, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but that confronting, standing in my truth that that's psychological harm that's not that's not good and standing in my truth that I am a businesswoman this is what I'm going to do even if I got to take steps back like I'll be um I'm going back to do some subbing because I t- I put it into that other contract and my other my second one is delayed and then I got a phone call saying for some other contract work right so I got to keep doing the work because the business is staying. Like, that's the thing. Like, the business is here to stay. That, that, ha- I don't know. That just manifested for me this week. And I probably wasn't going to have that level of confidence and certainty unless I had the friction that I had, the hiccup this week. Because the hiccup made me interrogate. Is it something you can do? Is it something you really should do? Yes, yes, and yes. And then, so having, confronting that, confronting this god awful thing that's happening with our my person, and still standing, choosing to do my best to be morally responsible and healthy, is requiring me um, is requiring me to. Um, it's giving me a mood. It's giving me a sense of self. I can't explain it.
giving me a sense of self, sense of security. I, I just feel grown up. I feel authentic. I feel positioned. And I, I, I really have been enjoying the episode, the episodes that I've been releasing uh, around. Um, hold on a second. Um, about the journey for season seven and the, and in this journey it's it's this interesting thing that's happening like in to see me blossoming in this chaos and this pain um it's it's surreal actually and I'm not really sure what my views are going to be on it later i I pray that I don't have any regrets. My heart coach said, she said, you're going to regret something. You just have to decide what you want to regret. I told my friend that yesterday. She did not like that. She's like, I don't think you will regret taking care of yourself. You should not have to regret taking care of yourself. So we don't know. We will find out. But I'm, I, I'm no longer, I'm no longer, I'm not as afraid of taking care of myself as I was before. I felt guilty about having to take care of myself. And that's telling. If taking care of myself means... Like, that shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. And it's only a problem because in that environment, I'm not supposed to be okay. I'm not supposed to be well. So, there's a lot there. So, anyway, it's just it's it's just a grown-up. It's just a grown-up. It, it's just... It's... It, a grown-ass woman. That's what I feel like this week. I'm a grown-ass woman. And, um... That's what it feels like. <laughs> that's all I can say. That's the mood. That is the mood. That is the mood. That's the frame. And the implications of that will be that I am going to move forward and take the, the lessons as they come. Buckle up. Because this is what it is. I have to buckle up for this journey because I'm not buckling up to be a part of harm. I'm not going to be a part of harm. I don't, I'm not going to live that way. And I'm not, I just, I'm not going to do that. Not intentionally. So, so the episode I did last week about social maps was really powerful maps. So I've been thinking about building my social map and then working on that. I'll share that with you when it's done. Um, I've been thinking about play as part of my social map and as a more critical part of my social map. And, um, and I, I, unfortunately I have to start thinking about what the world is going to, is going to look like if, if my person does go and I have to ask myself, who am I going to be? What is that world going to be like for me? And I'm just, I kind of, I just got to make sure I'm okay. So, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about being a grown-ass woman, you know, just growing up and being in a place where you wanted to, where you really want to be, where you need to be, does it mean it's easy? No. But this is the right struggle. Sometimes we get caught in the wrong struggle, the wrong battles. I'm in the right battle. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be in the world. This is the hole. This is the landing space. And um, and this is a theme. This isn't the first time you've heard me say it. I'm just getting more comfortable saying it. 
So if this conversation has had uh, a business, entrepreneurship, cancer, family relationships, if, it, if this relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear that. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Twitter or X, your NIDOM1, Facebook and YouTube, your NIDOM. Let me give you your assignment. The concept of self-actualizing has come up several times this season and really at the end of last at the end of season six, but two to three times in season seven. That's not what is on me today. Like so self-actualizing, like we're gonna try to make sure all of those levels are covered, right? In terms of self-actualizing. But being a grown-ass woman or a grown-ass man or a grown-ass non-binary person means you are taking responsibility for making sure that you are well at each level of the actualization process that is on you. And you're doing what you need to do. You're not selling yourself out. You're not allowing yourself to be exploited. You are doing what you need to do to get through that self-actualization process. Being a grown-ass, grown-ass man, grown-ass woman, grown-ass binary, non-binary person. Are you a grown-ass? Are you? Think about it. So, and what does that mean for you? So think about that, okay? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.